Um, started a new series today called Surprise the World. Um, because I think the world is in for a big surprise and Cambridge is in for a big surprise what it's going to see from the kingdom this year and what it's going to see from us as individuals wherever we live this year. Um, God really put this on my heart, not New Year just gone, the New Year before. And he started to challenge me. And you know how it is when you sort of, you get all like inward looking when New Year's coming up and think, what should my resolution be? And how, how has the last year gone? And how's next year going to be better? And all those sort of things. Do you relate to that? Do you know what I mean? And uh, so I was doing my, you know, my moroseness, sit there, you're like absolutely full of turkey and roast potatoes and all the rest of it. And uh, I, I was reflecting back on years and years ago when I was at university and how, uh, how the things that God did at that time. And I, I was looking back and I realized that one of the things that, that had happened in the way I think and the way... Um, I sort of approach things of the kingdom is that things had got really complicated in my head. And stuff used to be a lot simpler there. I believed God, I listened to the Holy Spirit, I went out and he saved people and he healed people. And it was as simple as that. And I realised that over time, when we've been around church quite a long time, we can get all complicated. And um, one of the things, you know, and I know, you know, you, you, the first thing that happens, you got got... Well, that was a long time ago. I'm not, am I the same person? Can God still do that? Does he still do that? And the world's different and things have changed and, and, and we live different lives now and we think differently. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do think that things for, for the, the younger generation are much harder and much more complex than stuff that we faced. And financially, things are much harder and, and, it, and it's tougher to work out your, your path through life. But it's even tougher to make a difference, to make a difference through what you're doing and the way you're living. And, um, you know, that we, we see all that every day, you know, don't we, on, on TV. Well, at least, at least I do, where there's these debates about things like tolerance and um, wh who can say what and when they can say it. And it kind of got to me and I'm going like, somewhere along the line, we've lost our moral compass in this this world we live in. And with that comes the challenge, actually, can I make a difference? Can you make a difference? And I'm going like, can I make a difference? What, what can I do that would change things? What would that, can I do that will affect my world? I might not be able to affect the whole world, but I can affect my world. And for each of us, we might not be able to affect the whole world, but we can affect our worlds. And um, then, you know, this is just the way God speaks to me. He might not speak to you like this, but he might speak to someone like this. But he, spe he speaks to me, and, and this question came up my, in my heart. If I look back sort of 10, 11 years ago from when we started this church as a, as a, as a Bible study in our dining room, would I, looking back, that, that person, if they'd looked forward those 10 or 11 years, would they be pleased or would they be disappointed in what I'd done and what I'd become. You see, it's really easy for us to be excited at a point in our lives and to lose that and feel like we can't make a difference anymore. And it doesn't come on overnight, it just comes on. 
And, and, and it's, a, it's kind of like a slow process. And then, you know, maybe there's some of us here who feel like that. Feel like, well, you know, I really set out to do something, but I've failed. Or it hasn't gone like I expected it to. Or it hasn't gone like I wanted it to. And I haven't made the difference that I wanted to be. I'm not as on fire as I was for God 10 years ago. You know, you might feel like, you might feel uh, that, that some of those hopes and dreams that God's put on your heart didn't materialize or haven't materialized yet. And some of us might even have just like drifted along and not realized that, that time was going by. And suddenly you find yourselves 10 years older and nothing's really changed. Others of us, we might have just got so, so busy that we never walked into the dreams and the, the, the passions that God has given us. And, and when we don't do that, those die down a bit. They, they, they start taking a backload. And all these sort of questions come up whenever you like reassess your life, doesn't it? And, and, and God starts talking about it. So right at that moment, God dropped in my spirit, we're going to surprise the world, son. We're going to surprise the world. What's done is done. Those years have gone. They can't be... Uh, return, but actually every single person in faith life and beyond can make a difference starting right here, right now. And we can affect the worlds around us from starting here, right here, right now. And I said to God, well, how do you do that? How's that going to happen then? And he sort of showed me something. So if you'll, you'll just like indulge me for a minute or so. If you've been to our church a long time, and by a long time, I mean more than a year. One of the things that, that happens is we have this word and we call it discipleship. And the minute you say disciple, and, and I've done this experiment, I've been doing an experiment for about three months now, going, if I said to you the word discipleship, what would it look like to you? And for nearly everyone, the word discipleship translates as serving in church and doing Bible studies and being part of a midweek group. That is not discipleship. That is good, and it's really helpful, and it's healthy, but it's not discipleship. And part of the, the mindset we have come to believe is that church is what happens in these walls. And church is never what happens in these walls. This is where we come to celebrate what happened outside these walls. And discipleship in Jesus' mind when he used the term, and in the apostles' minds when they used the term, it meant this, being trained. And I want you to try and make a mind shift this year, and a mind shift in the way we think about things, is that we have been trained for the works of ministry. Yeah, have you heard that phrase? You should do, it's, it's biblical. We've been trained for the works of ministry. And again, that translates in our heads. We've been sent apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors to train and equip us for the works of ministry. What's the works of ministry? We make this mind shift and we say, works of ministry is what I do in church. Am I a worship person? Am I a refreshments person? Am I a teacher? Am I, do I lead a discipleship? Do I pray for people in the prayer line? That's not the works of ministry. It's part of the works of ministry. It's the work of ministry that happens within the, the church gathered. But Jesus talked an awful lot as well about the church scattered when we're not in here. 
He talked about the 110 hours a week when we're not in here. And he said, that's where the works of ministry happen. That's where lives get changed. That's where lives get touched. And there's a question then is, yeah, thank you for that, Joyce. You can do that again. (laughs) That's kind of like, the problem is we have, if we've been around church, we have been conditioned and we have been done so many programs, courses, trainings. We, you know, I, I guarantee you that if there's anybody who's been around church more than two or three years, you've been on at least three or four different programs about how to share your faith. And there's this way and that way, and we've all been through it, and we've, we've done it, all the different methods. And the net effect is, the minute we get a chance to share our faith, we freeze. Because we can't work out which of the four or six or ten we've we've to use. And it all gets a jumble in our head. And the minute we get an opportunity, we either freeze or we vomit over people the gospel. (laughs) And in the hope that by hitting them hard, it'll like some sort of amazing thing will happen. And... And what we've done is we've gone around offending people because we've tried to hit them without relationship. And you see, what we've got to recognise, and I'm going to touch on this next week, so don't, don't go off on me, but there's a difference between an evangelist and everybody else. But everybody else should be doing the works of evangelism. And... We can't all operate in an evangelist gift because we're not all evangelists, but some of us are, and we should celebrate what they're doing, and we should support what they're doing and learn from what they're doing. But every one of us should be making a difference to all the lives around us, and that's where I'm going to touch on, on in Surprise the Will. That's where we're going. Now, I'm going to talk about the difference between what an evangelist does and what everybody else does next week, so just suspend that one for now. But basically, every single one of us, evangelist or otherwise, is a representative of Christ. See, when Jesus was in the world, he presented himself to the world. He's now in heaven, but we're his body. And the reason we're called representatives, it means representing. We are representing the things of Jesus to the world. How do we do that? We do that because he lives in us by the Holy Spirit. So we are representing Christ wherever we go. That's our goal. That's, that's what we designed to do is new creations, new believers, uh, new born again entities. From the very first moment we get saved, we are given a mission which is to represent Christ in this world. So wherever we are, the world should see Jesus. Because when it sees us, it should see Jesus. It shouldn't have to come here on a Sunday morning to see Jesus. It should be seeing Jesus at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Actually, three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, it might see Jesus because we're excited that work's nearly finished that way. But let's say say four o'clock on a Monday afternoon then. It should see Jesus because we're his representatives. And... Here's the thing, we're given this ministry, Jesus calls it, well, Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of reconciliation is like this. It's us going as Christ's representatives to the world to show him what Jesus, show that world what Jesus is like and bring it closer to him. 
That's the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling the world to Jesus. And um, here's, here's what God started to say to me, and, and I've been like working through for, I guess, the last 15 months or so. That doing this is not an organizational thing. Jesus did not, I mean, I, we, we've got, we can sometimes see our church and, and, and this, this incredible family we have at Faith Life, we can sometimes see it as that's it. And we can get this mentality, how do we make that work and make it work better? But Jesus didn't come to save an organization. And therefore, creating a better and better and bigger and bigger and more smoothly run, efficient, business-like organization isn't going to cut it. Because Jesus didn't come to save that. He didn't come to, to give that organization its mission. And a lot of the problem is we have devolved our personal responsibility back onto the organization. Well, the church can organize an outreach event. The church can organize this ministry event. The church can organize a, a Christmas party so we can invite people. And we forget that actually it's much more important the individual because Jesus came to save the individual. He came to give you as an individual a mission. He came to give you the ability to fulfill that mission. He came to gift you through his Holy Spirit with the tools that you need to do that mission. All the gifts of the Spirit, all the things that the Holy Spirit does works in individuals. And so that's where at the level we've got to use it. And we need a, a bit of a mindset change to encourage us in that. Are you, are you still with me? Okay. So here's the thing. How, how does that happen? Because how many of you know we're, we're, when you're born again, something changes. You become a new creation. The Bible says you become a new creation or new species of being. You cease to be human. Some of you are a bit closer to that than others, but we cease to be human. And just look at this. This isn't human. Many people have said that's not human. <laughs> but we're not. We're not human because we're full of the Holy Spirit. We have... We, we, we have a different species of being to somebody who is not saved. And Jesus um, told us that when the Holy Spirit came, he would equip us for doing what we needed to do. That's why they had to wait for him. Which is really interesting because we can't do this without the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so important that we never, ever become a church that doesn't value the Holy Spirit and doesn't value the presence of God. You know, eliminating the Holy Spirit does not save the lost. The Holy Spirit is meant to offend. He's meant to offend mindsets because it's his job to convict people. It's not our job to convict people, it's his job to convict people. And that's why the Holy Spirit should be central and present corporately and in church scattered. So how does he work in us? Well, if we're going to be his representatives, then we have to consistently make things a habit. If we're going to represent Jesus, we have to consistently make things a habit. That should be on the slide. Is it there? It's there. 
So I've said that slightly differently. If we're going to be representatives consistently, then it's going to become habitual or a habit for us. You see, a lot of us try and force ourselves to be his representatives for five minutes on a particular occasion. And it doesn't have the effect of bringing the kingdom to the level we'd like. If we're going to see a move of God sweep across this nation in the same way as it swept across in New Testament times, the same way as it swept across in the days of Wesley and everything, each one of us is going to have to live habitually from the power of the Spirit inside us. There's your challenge. That's where we're going this year. Living habitually from the power of the Spirit inside us. You see, one thing we've discovered over the last two or three years is that changed lives change lives. So the world needs to see changed lives. And the only way it's going to see changed lives is if we live from the power of the Spirit and we bring about some changed lives. And changed lives come about both through the Word and the Spirit, working together, not separate. So you have to have both Word and you have to have Spirit. You can't have all Spirit and you can't have all Word. doesn't work. You've got to have both together. And then... You've got to live from that place. Here's the big challenge that God's given us in this word for this year in in terms of growing and growing. He's asked us to grow up into all the stuff that we've accumulated inside us and learnt over the years and now actually live it. And in living it, we will go. And we will affect other lives. Now, let's let's get onto this word habits. Um, Whenever I hear that word habits, I, the, the immediate thing that comes to my head is that I, I had a bad one growing up. I'm, I'm nearly out of it now at the age of 20, like I am now. And I'm nearly out of it. And I used to bite my fingernails. And my mum used to tell me, that's a terrible habit. No girl will want you if you bite your fingernails. But we, we have bad habits. But the, the, I'm not focusing on bad habits. What we've got to do is cultivate some good habits. Some good habits. When I say habits, what I mean is this. We have to find a way of letting out what's in us so it actually appears outside us. Because what we do consistently will become a habit. It's a bit like, um, how can I put it? Well, let's start with a definition. What's a habit? According to the dictionary, because, you know, I looked it up. A habit is a continual, often unconscious performance of an activity that has been acquired through frequent repetition. Continual, unconscious performance of an activity that's been acquired through frequent repetition. If you think of it like this, uh, most of us have all drive, don't we? When you drive, do you think that much about driving? Is your head on shopping, what you're listening to on the radio, what's going on at home, what's going on at work, what are you thinking about? Just be careful, there's a police lady here. (laughs) But the good news is she's not in charge of car theft, she's in charge of bike theft. So this only applies to cyclists, they only need to worry. But when you learn to drive a car, it wasn't like that, was it? Like that all, like, look at... Mirror signal manoeuvre and, and trying to get your clutch and your, your steering wheel and your mirror and your hands and everything to work together. And, you know, like you're going down the road like this, aren't you? 
And, and then forgetting to stop at road ends, that's more dangerous. But, you know, I think it must be a terrifying occupation being a driving instructor. But when you learn to drive, it's awkward, it's difficult, and you think you'll never get it. And yet now, everybody who has learned to drive doesn't even think about it. It's like that with the things of the Spirit. It's like that in the way of living lifestyle Christianity. It's awkward, it bounces up and down the road, it stalls, it comes out the wrong road ends. But eventually, it becomes automatic. And in the New Testament church and in the moves of God, things became automatic. It was people who didn't even have to think, they just showed Jesus. And that, that's what I'm talking about. So how can you do that? Well, go with me and I'll show you you can do it. Romans 5, 7, by the way, just say to the person next to you, you can do this. That didn't sound like you were convinced. Turn to them and say it a bit louder. You can do this. Right, that's good. Romans 5.17 says this. If by the one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So, through Adam, through Adam's fall, death reigned. Sickness reigned, pain reigned, the curse reigned. All, all those things came in and they dominated life. They dominated the lives of every individual. But through Christ, now we reign. Those things don't dominate us anymore. Those things don't rule over us. The body of sin was rendered powerless. And we are destined to rule and reign in life. What does that mean? It means that we're destined to rule and reign in life. In other words, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are meant to see and are capable of bringing change in a very real way to all the lives around us. We are capable and should be seeing people healed. We are capable and should be hearing the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. We are capable and should be seeing people delivered and set free. We are capable of leading people to Christ. You see, it's who we are. When we, when we settle for less than this, we're settling for less than who we are. You see, it's like with, with sin. Before you were born again, you did wrong things, but you couldn't do anything about it. And before you were born again, the world was going to hell, and you couldn't do anything about it because you didn't care because you were going with it. But now that, that, that with this side of the cross and this side of, of giving our lives to, to Christ, through the Holy Spirit, something deep inside of us has changed. Our desires have changed. Uh, what, what drives us has changed. He's filled our hearts with love. He's filled our hearts with compassion. Now, we don't always display that on the outside, but that's the reality of who we are. And what Jesus is saying is that the world needs to see more of who you are and less of who you were. More of who you are and less of who you were. You know, we, we can narrow down the gospel to just be about sin and forgiveness and going to heaven. But really, Jesus called it, he didn't just call it the gospel, he called it the gospel of the kingdom, or the, the kingdom of God. 
Sometimes he called it the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. He, but it was all about kingdom. And what he was really saying is this. I didn't just save you so you could be forgiven your sins and set free. I saved you so you could change and live for a purpose. And that purpose is the kingdom. Because if I just saved you for your sins, I might as well have just taken you to heaven straight away. So you need to realize that, that we're saved for a purpose. And here's the good news. He said, I'm not just going to leave you to do that on your own. I'm going to give you a partner that's going to give you the ability to do that. And so this thing about ruling and reigning in life and what's changed because we're in Christ is this, that the Holy Spirit is our partner in bringing change to those around us. Just let that sink in. The Holy Spirit is your partner in bringing change to those around you. He wants to empower you and he wants to partner with you to change minds, to change hearts, to change souls and to change the world. He wants to partner with you in surprising the world. Here's the thing. If we're going to surprise the world, we have to become a lot more sensitive to the things of the Spirit. Okay, somebody, you're catching me up. Do you, do you know I've got some yeses then? I know this, you know like sometimes I talk about saying things widely and overview and sometimes talk about deep. That, that was the deep bit. It gets easier from there, from there in this one, okay? But we're trying to partner with the Holy Spirit and that's the real key. That's the key to effectiveness. The key to effectiveness is not being trained in a method. The key to effectiveness is being trained in how to partner with the Holy Spirit. You can train and train and train and train and program and program and program and program and sermon and sermon and sermon for as long as you like, but unless you are partnering with the Holy Spirit, it will be ineffective. Because the disciples were in exactly that position. They'd raise the dead, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, walk three years with Jesus, and he told them they couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit. So we're a bit like arrogant if we think we can just get on and do it. So we have to learn and be trained much more in partnering with the Holy Spirit. So here we go. For those who just, I'll give you a quick recap and then we'll get on to sort of how these habits or how that bitch, that, that th way of doing things habitually works. When you were born again, the Holy Spirit joined with your spirit. If you've been around faith life quite a long time, you've heard all this in detail. I'm just going through it really quickly. Um, we run a course called Rock Solid that tells you, you know, goes into all this in detail. But the Holy Spirit joins with your spirit. And at that point, and from then on, you have the potential to represent Christ to the world through the power of the Holy Spirit in you and the change that he is creating in your life. You are a new man. You have everything to succeed in life. But it is in a particular location. It's inside you. Everything you need is inside you. The problem isn't what's inside you. Because um, Peter says, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. My response to that is, so what's the problem? Where, where's the point? If I have everything I need for life and godliness, and that's true, and I believe it's true because that's what, you know, the scripture tells me, 
then I don't have a problem that he's not capable of being dealt with. I've got everything I need for life and godliness. It doesn't stop problems coming. It doesn't stop terrible things happening. But it does mean I have the ability to overcome and go through and come out the other side strong, stable, able to go on and still live with a purpose that is valuable. And so it's not what's inside me that's the problem. The problem's getting it outside of me. So, so the world sees what's put inside me and I start to see what's put inside me. That's called change. And that's something some of us don't like. But we need to have. Because without change, we can't get more like Christ. Now, the job of the Holy Spirit is to work in your spirit, to work inside you, and to take the word and bring about that change. It's his job to encourage you, to build you up, to empower you, to uh, stir you up, and to lead you in a way that brings about his kingdom. And all this is kind of like... A lot of us know all this, but it's important like we just ground it there. What I'm saying is this. That does not happen just like that. That, is a, that coming out of what's inside you is a process that takes time and probably, for, until we get to heaven, never finishes it. I haven't seen anybody walk in perfection yet, so I'm assuming it doesn't finish before I get to heaven. And so it's a process. And in a process, it's really easy to think, well, I'll just let it happen to me. Well, it doesn't just happen to you. It's not a passive process. It's an active process. It's one that we have to participate in. You see, it's a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. In all, all those things I said that the Holy Spirit does in you, there's a responsibility on us to get the word in us and to stir ourselves up and to keep ourselves on fire. There's, it's a two-way thing. It's not one or the other. You, you can't pray for somebody at the front, set them on fire and expect them to be, I don't mean literally on fire, that would be, a, you know, we'd all be abandoning the bit, but you know what I mean, on fire for God, and expect them to still be there, self-sustaining into it. Uh, sustained in three months time it requires a partnering a partnering with the word in us and a partnering with the holy spirit in us are you still with me here's the thing the kingdom of god is going to come in this nation and in this city and in our neighborhoods by us showing the kingdom and there is nothing more powerful on earth than a believer consistently being who he was made to be. Nothing more powerful on earth. Nothing can stop a believer who is consistently who he was made to be. You don't sound like you're convinced. Nothing on earth is more powerful than a believer who is behaving consistently in who he was made to be. Right, how do I know that? Because I, my, my scripture, I don't know about yours, but my scripture says, in all things I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. As Jesus is, so I am now on this earth. So there is nothing more powerful or more authority than Jesus. 
And Jesus says, all authority on earth, under the earth and in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, I'm delegating it to you. Now you go. You go. You take it. And that tells me that if I'll go, he'll make a difference. He'll do it. His power is more than enough for everything I face. This Holy Spirit in me and the word in me is more than enough to change whoever I come into contact with. How do you behave consistently? Well, just like me biting my fingernails, you behave consistently because you just do it all the time. But there's a, you know, we've got to take some steps before it becomes that we're doing it all the time without thinking about it. So how do you do that? As I said, it's not, that change doesn't come passively, it comes actively. So here's what we do. The first thing we do is this. And the first thing you're going to have to do is, right now, I just want you to do a little self-health check. Because the first thing you're going to have to do is make up your mind which bit of you you want to keep happy. Do you want to keep your flesh happy or your spirit happy? Because if we want to keep our flesh happy, we won't be able to do this. If it's our flesh that's pulling us around in our life, and, and we, we, we continue in that place, we won't do it. Why? Because our flesh doesn't want to do it. Our flesh doesn't want to represent Christ to the world. Our flesh doesn't want to pay for people to get healed. Our flesh doesn't want to step out and witness to people. Our flesh doesn't want to do anything. Our flesh just wants to sit at home, have a nice life, earn lots of money, and, and watch TV. You know, and get a takeaway. If you've got really bad flesh, it, it, it's got, got multiple, it's got multiple TVs, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Sky, all the lot, and a takeaway. You see, our flesh doesn't want to do anything. Our flesh doesn't want to do anything that will discomfort us and make us uncomfortable. Our flesh is saying that before you can do any of that, guys, you've got to get this sorted, you've got to do that, and you've got to do that, and maybe when you've really been successful and you've got a lot of money, then you can give a little bit, and maybe you'll have some more time when you're retired. If it depends on everybody that's retired, then even if they would rise up, it would still change this nation. But it doesn't depend on everybody that's retired, it depends on every single one of us. And... So we need to decide right at the outset, do we want to keep our flesh happy or do we want to keep our spirit happy? And I can't answer that for you. I know what is the right answer. You know what is the right answer, don't you? Yeah? It's one of those where, unusually, the right answer is not Jesus. It's the spirit. You want to keep your spirit happy. Here's the problem we get the minute we decide it's the spirit. We actually don't know how to do it. Or we know how to do little bits of it. But we've never lived like that. And we need to start living like that. And when we start living like that, the problem is that as we try and do something, we've got this thing called feelings. And how I feel. And most of us don't step out or do the, the things that the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do because we don't feel good about it. We don't feel capable of it. 
we, we don't feel like we've had enough training. We don't feel like we've, we're a good enough Christian. We, we, we think all those sort of things. You know, if you wait until you feel like doing something, you will never do it. Because feelings is your flesh. So you're going to have to do some things you don't feel comfortable with. You see, the problem for me, going back to my university days, is I felt really comfortable about it because I didn't care. Because I was a young man and I was probably like full of myself. And, and yeah. You know, when you're young, sometimes it's easier. You just, you just don't care what anybody thinks. But somewhere, in, I don't know when it was, but maybe in your mid-twenties, you get really sensitive to everybody around you and what they're thinking and how they're looking at things and what they tell you you should be doing. And, and you start thinking, well, you know. And, and so I look back, and then as God was showing me this, I had to learn again that I had to get over how I felt. And so, you know, um, I started to go, like, how am I going to do this, God? And it's different. I'm not saying you should do this, okay? You have to work out what God wants to do with you. But seriously, you do have to work out what God wants to do with you and how he's going to work this out in your life. And what I did is, <laughs> this is what I got from God, go and sit in a coffee shop and see what happens. Listen for my spirit and see what happens. So I, I went out to, I thought, I'm not going in Cambridge. People know me here. And I'm not going to embarrass myself in Cambridge. I'll go somewhere nobody knows me. So I, I went somewhere and nobody knows me, nothing happened. And so I tried a different place. Because we're trying to follow the spirit, not plan for the spirit. So I went to a coffee shop in Royston, sat in Costa in Royston. I'm going, and I, I'm sat there and I've got my extra hot, hot chocolate, and, and I'm sat there and I'm thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, what now? You, you said, you said that if I stepped out, if I, like, braved myself, you'd do something. And, and I'm sat there and I'm thinking, nothing is happening. And then there's a little baby in, in, his, in a pram just on the, the table next to me. This little baby waves at me. I'm going, okay, hi. <laughs> God, you said that if I stepped out, you'd do something. You know, slaver coming down the cheeks, you know. Or... So, what do I do? I say, what a lovely baby. <laughs> and I start having a conversation with the girl who was looking after the baby. It wasn't a mum, she was like um, nanny. And, and I, I'm having this conversation and her friend comes in and her friend is completely anti-God. Because this, this uh, girl that was looking after the baby, she asked me, well, what are you doing? And, and I'm going, well, actually, I'm sitting here and I'm doing a survey. And, and this survey is this, I'm just asking people because I'm trying to work out how God's going to work in my life. So if you don't mind, can I ask you a question? What's your, what, what's your story with God? And so she's telling me the story. Then a friend turns up. He, he's talking about God. goes completely anti and, you know, there is no God and all that sort of stuff. And, and I'm going, why do you think, and, and why is that? And I'm going, I, I've got no answer to this because she's really aggressive. And, um, and I'm thinking, my alternative is to get into stand-up knockdown argument 
all listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit, you told me, and now it's got really uncomfortable here because I want to just tell her what I think. And he said, just tell them what I've done for you. And I started to share with her about how in the really difficult times in my life when things had gone wrong, when uh, you know stuff had been a real mess, when tragedy had happened, I'd always found God to be good. That he'd always come through to me. He'd never let me down. And we have this conversation. And this starts off a chain of connections by which I end up talking to three people in... Um, at, at different places in the Royston Lecturers area. So God creates these connections. And at the start of October, we said, right, let's, let's follow through on this and see what happens. And so we've been going out uh, once a fortnight to Royston, getting, getting this group of three ladies together, 1.30 in Costa in Tesco in Royston. And... Um, We've just been talking to them about God and how he wants to make a difference in the world and how that can come about through them as individuals. Because two of them were believers at that point. And um, we've just carried on doing that. And now God has created connections and it's really bizarre how, how it happens. It, he, he connects somebody else and then he connects somebody else and then he connects somebody else. So... On Wednesday this week, we were actually there and we're in a position now that there's 11 people in Costa, in Tesco, and one of those is discipling four people who aren't yet believers who are on their way. So there's actually 15 people setting off from a baby who waved. And so we were now, we, we, it's really exciting because we're now splitting into two. We've now got a group in Royston and a group in Letchworth. And, it, and it's fantastic. And every person that God has brought in, it turns out they have a connection with one of the other people in that group. And, and so it's fantastic. And, and that's, that's kind of what I mean about following the Holy Spirit because I, can't, I could not have organized that. I could not have done it. And if I had just blurted out my four ways of sharing the gospel with somebody, none of them would have worked and we would have been left me disappointed after a baby waved at me, going somewhere else, saying, where are you going now, God? Are you getting my point? Okay, here's the thing. When you start doing new habits, it is not going to feel good. That felt really, really awful. I was hugely nervous, and I found it really difficult. Having been doing that since, I guess, June last year, I'm now finding it a lot easier. But what the other thing I'm finding is I'm not thinking about it as much and the things that God is doing are escalating. I'm seeing more. I'm seeing more um, uh, miracles. I'm seeing more people talking about Jesus openly. I'm seeing people starting to explore and come and, and, and get saved. And it's exciting. And... You know, I, I commented earlier about how much God was bringing people here to, and, and that he was doing something. Well, it's not just here, it's other places as well. And that's exciting. And it, you know, Romans 6.11 says this. 
Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but consider yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. What I've discovered is it's got a lot to do, my, my confidence and my um, stepping out more consistently and doing things more consistently has a lot to do with how I think about myself. And one of the, the things, the big shifts that God's done in my head is he's convinced me I'm dead. And when you're dead, stuff doesn't offend you as much. And we have to think of ourselves as who we are. New creations, new believers, our old person dead, ready to get on with a new life because the old has passed, the new has come. I don't know what that new life looks like from here on out, but I know that I've started out on it. And, and that's the exciting thing about God. He never tells you what it all looks like, what's coming. He just says, here's how it works, son. You listen to my Holy Spirit. It's going to work. It's going to be okay. You see, you can't, we cannot wait to feel like doing what we know we should do. You know, if you wait, how can I put it? You can't wait to feel like being a blessing to somebody. You just have to start being a blessing to somebody. You have to do it deliberately at first. You have to go, I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to bless somebody. I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to deliberately go out and find somebody that I can be kind to and make a difference in their life. You won't do that if your flesh feels like it, if you wait for your flesh. You won't ever feel like it. So you're going to have to do that without feeling like it. You, you can't wait to feel merciful and put your relationships back together. You know, um, you, you can't wait to feel... Here's uh, a big one for some of us. You can't wait to feel positive. Sometimes you just have to decide you're going to get up and be positive today. That whatever comes at God, I, I look at myself in the mirror and, I, and, I, and you know, I, I look at it and I go, God, you've made an amazing creation whose hair is really bad this morning. But despite that, I'm believing, God, you're going to change things today. You're going to do some incredible things in, through, through me today. God, I want to be available to you. I want to be there when, you, when I hear your voice. I want to listen to you. And I'm believing that I'm going to hear your voice today and I'm going to make a difference because I've heard your voice. And I'd say that to myself in the morning because I, I, I can't wait to feel positive. If I get up in the morning, I tell you, I don't feel positive. I look at myself in the mirror and I'm thinking, you are not as young as you used to be. But if I look at God, I can be positive. Sometimes, and all the time, you just have to do it. And you have to do it more than once before it'll get okay. Are you getting this? See, Romans 8.13 says this, If you live according to the dictates of the flesh, you will surely die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is why when you say, you have it, this is amplified, the ladies' version, as Shell said it. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you are habitually putting to death, making extinct and deadening the evil deeds prompted by the body, you shall really and genuinely and truly live. Who wants to really and genuinely and truly live? Who wants to make a difference? This is how we make a difference. We don't follow the flesh. 
and we habitually follow the Spirit. We habitually behave and follow who we now are. We listen for the voice of the Spirit and we follow it. You see, when I mentioned right at the start, discipleship, you are in training from the very first day you gave your life to Christ. You are in training to live a new life, a different sort of life, a different quality of life that is not pushed back, is not hemmed in, is not closed down, is not battered about, is not shoved under the carpet, is not hidden, but is in the light. A new life that overcomes, that changes things, that makes a difference. Um, I remember like the, the, when we, even before we started Faith Life, we were doing uh, the previous version of Rock Solid in our house and we, we discovered this verse. And I'm going to read it to you. It's 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 4 to 5. Whatsoever is born of God. Who's born of God here? I am. So this is you. You. You, every single person in this room, not us as a church, but it is true about us as a church, but every single individual in this church, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. If we are not seeing ourselves as overcoming the world, it's because we're not living out of who we are, we're still living in our flesh. Because if we're born of God, we overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, what? Our faith. We believe God. He is the one with the power. We are the ones that carry it. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? Just in case you didn't get it first time. He who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Our destiny is to make a difference. You know, um, you might feel like, well, Okay, I've, I feel a bit shell-shocked now, Mark. I, I, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what to do with it. Well, that's, that's okay, because we've got another six or seven weeks of talking about how to do it. In fact, we've got a lifetime of talking how to do it, but the next six or seven weeks, we're going to talk about how we can actually share who God is with other people. So it's okay if you're feeling like that. It's okay if you're feeling, well, actually, I, I'm quite comfortable with my flesh as it is. Well, that's okay. You won't be by the time we're finished. You know, just, just like tuck it up, have a biscuit at the end, have a coffee, think about it, let the Holy Spirit do his work and your flesh will start responding. It'll be fine. Just trust me. But the first time we, we read this and, and I remember it and it was a lady called Sue and she, she went the next week at, at the church we were in and it was a time that that church was open to people going up and giving testimony. And she got up and she said, and, and we were in this group and we were in this group and, and, and we... And Mark and Cheryl read this verse and I just felt like putting my undies on outside my pants and pretending I was Supergirl. <laughs> and she said this in front of everybody. So I'm not suggesting you do that this morning, but just look at yourselves. There's a power inside you that just by looking at you, the world cannot see. Like with Superman, before he gets in his telephone box and does his whizzy thing, they don't know who he is. Well, now we need to start getting in our telephone boxes, doing our whizzy thing and letting the world see. Because that is who we are. Let's stand.